be aware, how am I with my child? How much oneness? All parents know it. And do not be fooled with he's an adolescent or she's an adolescent. They just want to be alone. Some truth in that. But there's another quality where teenagers never want to be left alone. Mm. There's a surface piece of independence in validating that. But if there's a piece going along with being alone where there's not a soul connection, which there was before, more discovery needs to happen. Yes. Something different. I, I would say that. That's great. Do something different. Doing the same thing will guarantee, and we're all in that mode. One little tip, one time a month, three hours alone, doing exactly what the child wants. Two 15-minute times, Monday through Thursday, with what the child wants. That actually is wanting. There's no technique to it. It's being what the child wants. Do you hear it resonate with what I've been saying? Yes. One, I can't tell you, especially with dads, when a son, after the dad starts to do this, the glow in a boy's eyes, every one of these boys are so happy when that happens. If you could take a month and do that, it's better than therapy because it opens the heart. Friends, it's Morgan, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. We took a pause between part one and part two of our time with Gary Unruh, a magnificent father in the faith and very experienced counselor. If you haven't dove in to the first part that we released last year in December, I would definitely urge you to hit pause and go back and listen to part one. I sense from God that there was a message to share, an invitation, and a chance to pray with you all for the end of the year. So I dropped that podcast in. But now we're turning to part two, where we had the privilege of circling up with Gary to explore these themes from his book, Golden Rule Parenting, Lift for Children, his newest book. And first and foremost, what he has gleaned, what he's cultivated and distilled from his life's work of over five decades of sitting with over 5,000 young hearts in their families. And so these are deep waters. Sit back and receive it all with grace and care. Receive this conversation from the heart of the Father, a shepherd saying, I see you, I'm with you, and I want to equip you as you move into this new year. Let's do this together. Friends, let's dive in. Welcome. Gary, it's been such a delight to be with you in this space. Uh, we've spent much time in your office as, um, as clients, and not many people choose to dedicate over five decades of their life to working with children, growing children, adolescents, and parents, and becoming formal counselors. I, I was wondering if you could give us a glimpse into your story, into your childhood, into something that formed you where you found yourself impassioned to become a counselor for your career. Any highlight to share with us? Well, uh, first I grew up uh, a Mennonite. And I, do you know about Mennonites? Peace-loving. I, I don't know. Tell us more. Hearing, peace-loving. And then my brother became a clinical social worker, and that's basically what it was. It was that context, and then he became a clinical social worker, and I thought, that really sounds like a wonderful thing to do. And in this environment, it was one of loving and caring, and that was the way I could apply it. Yes. So that's kind of the short answer. Yes. And it's it stops me in my tracks to think of over 4,000 clients. And when we say clients, we mean children yes. and parents, the whole family system, over five decades. Yes. 
uh, one of the most comforting ideas when I was deeply in need and I found myself drawn to your office. First and foremost, it was because you blessed my wife so richly. But secondly, to know that in some ways, I I knew you'd seen hundreds of cases like me, right? And I knew it wasn't I wasn't going to share anything that would scare you. Yeah. And it, in some ways, it was nothing new. And one of the questions I wonder is, I'm guessing that much of what you experience is unique and much is universal, that there's a percentage, perhaps, of what you encounter is universal to the human experience and another percentage that's unique. I'm curious if you could pause and reflect what percentage or what portion would you say of all that you encounter in kind of human soul work is unique and universal and what sort of aspects stand out when you think of those two categories? Wow, that's a profound question. Um, It took about, I would say, 30 years to realize that the core piece of everybody is wanting to be loved. And that was profound to discover that. And of course, the tandem discoveries as a therapist occur inside you. So a therapist is also, as they're doing therapy, they're observing who they are. And so it's a mutual discovery. So there's a little bit of selfishness in it too. And as I discovered that it wasn't the symptoms that came to me, those were unique, and some of those symptoms were categorized in diagnosis. But down underneath, there was absolutely one yearning of every one of the clients, I discovered this about 30 years into it, Mm -hmm. that I want to be loved. Now, unfortunately, up to that time, I was focusing on behavior, and symptoms, and tried and tested interventions. Mm. And I got to the point of realizing where in the research do scientists and psychologists identify love as the core need? And actually, no scientist in the world have identified love as a core emotion. And we've talked about inside out, fear, Uh, disgust, anger, sad, happy and joy are really the same. That's what's inside out. That was actually the first time that that's been made public to the public. And you'll notice that love wasn't one of the five basic emotions. So going back to what you said, I discovered that there has to be something more And that's when I started writing my first book on uh, power of parental love. So your question about uh, unique would be every person has a different set of temperament traits. And they deliver who they are through those temperament traits. There are different temperament traits, and that's how who I am is delivered. Yes. And... You have to, as a therapist, then know those temperament traits and fit your intervention into those temperament traits. You can't tell an an introvert, I want you to go out all day and preach. Yes. They're not going to do it. So that's the surface. That's the behavior. Very important. But all diagnostic categories in the diagnostic manual relate to symptoms and that is behavior, things that you can observe as you watch someone act, talk, because talk would be the thoughts. And then the best therapist, almost all therapists, then go past the diagnostic manual to the feelings. But the most successful approach now is cognitive behavioral therapy. It focuses on the thoughts, mentions the feelings, And then the newest one is mindful-based cognitive therapy. And they go into more of loving kindness. The uniqueness is behavior, thoughts, and beginning listening to feelings. What we'll talk about in a little bit, I discovered that the essence, the creation of all of these symptoms, 
ends up being the first responders to outside things that happen or inside thoughts, and that's your body and emotion. And the two fundamental emotions, now I'm talking about the commonality, the two fundamental emotions I've changed inside out from joy to love. And it took me about five years to have the courage to say, this is what it is. I could be wrong, but I can tell you it feels right when I can focus on that in each individual and address how they don't feel loved. So the commonality is I want to be loved, and the common intervention, and we'll get to this later, is mitigating, stopping at the body and the initial emotion of fear, stopping fear and infusing it with love. So does that help you to know that uh, what I know, it's all that I know, may not work for other people, summarizing symptoms get presented in thoughts and behaviors, and the current programs are cognitive behavioral therapy, which is proven to work. And then moving into what I call more the unknown spiritual, that's all I mean by spiritual, is the unknown. That's mindful-based cognitive therapy. Wonderful. What I'm talking about is going one step farther, and that is I know, why can't we start with children where all stuff starts, and that's with the body and the emotion. Fear is unpackaged inner uterine. I think we mentioned this before. Love is not. When born, fear is full-fledged, ready for fight and flight. And love, compassion, empathy is present in a six-month-old. There's actually data that proves that, six-month-old. But I can tell you, without attending to those first responses from birth on, fear will dominate. And now the scientists recently have come out, it's been there all along, with a mechanism in the brain called default mode network. And it is what happens when we're not occupied with something, when the mind, they call it wandering. 40 thoughts a minute, four out of five thoughts are negative. That's how our body starts at birth. I believe that we can intervene and we can immobilize the default mode network because it's instinctual. When Morgan came in, my heart was blinded with light. A therapist knows immediately where the symptoms are coming from. And Morgan, I knew when he walked in the door and after five minutes, I knew that his default mode network was almost completely disabled. He had experienced the light that is at the very center of all of us. Same thing with Sherry. And it's interesting reflecting back, Sherry, I'm curious how you feel. One mentor said to us that in every season of our life, we will inevitably encounter someone that is the face of God to us, that the face of God will present itself. And when I see you, in every season of my life that I've been engaged with you, you have been the face of God to me. And so I think you draw out that light in me. And so in the midst of a full day, I see you and my spirit rests and is strengthened and is aligned. And so it's, it's reciprocity. Talking the heart language is so refreshing. Mm. Um, so... Remember, fear is our default mode relating. Mm -hmm. Fear is fight or flight. That is separation Mm. at the body level. We don't know it. This is all unconscious. Mm. Think about continuing to split unattended. It's unattended. When you were interuterine, one with your mother and the umbilical cord was cut. This is not scientific. This is something I believe. 
I believe that we have at a very primitive level awareness of that splitting. It's, I'm going to differentiate between research and what I know. I feel it. And we have a constant effort to join. I believe the essence of who we are is one. I believe the heart of that is inner uterine. And I believe that's why I increasingly know moms are sacred. Dad, you're awesome too. There's plenty that you have to do. But to answer briefly then, that is scientific, a new meta-study of why does therapy work when it does. It has nothing to do with the approach. It has to do with the quality of joining. Scientific. And many spiritual leaders have called this one oneness. And I love the word. It's not mine, but I feel it. Wanting. So wanting is what we crave from the moment of birth on. And when you said body, since that started then, that's in us. That actually is an instinctual need, I believe, beyond survival. Fear before being intervened with the approach that I have is splitting. And fear, our fear, only processes threat as physical. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of see I'm, why I'm it would? I'm tracking with you, yes. But, but it should. Right. It, it should. That's the way we started. Exactly. But I know now, because of the souls that I've been presented and been honored to be present with, yes. that you can actually stop that process at birth. That's amazing. I, I know that for yes. a fact, and you can recover it at any age. And I want you to know that the degree that fear and the temperament type has ravaged the soul is the degree in connection with chemicals, is the degree that the initial soul cannot ever be reached. I heard you say to, in response to Morgan's question of, you know, where's the particular, the individual, the unique, and then what is universal? And you have found that the temperaments express themselves in intensity in uniquely. Unique com combination, a unique fingerprint, as it were, for each of us in these... Me. Me. But deeper than that is this universal place we all have in common, this desire, this need to be one. And this is a, a biological need for our survival. And it's also from a perspective of the spirit, the unknown, the mystery. It's also um, a soulful connection, this this almost um, transcendent oneness. And that I think I hear you saying the good news is, is that no matter how severe uh, maybe the, the you know, uh, separation has been ingrained and then um, emphasized in a in a child or now an adult's life, and over and over again the pattern of separation. Fight or flight. Fight or flight, freeze or appease, however you call that. Deeper than that is the capacity to connect, because the deepest thing we've all we had it at one time, and that you have a a determination to participate with the divine, to participate with love, to help the children that come to you reconnect with that. And if it's not working with you, because the meta-study says it's the, it's the power of the connection that is the pivot, if that's not working, then you, you will urge the family to find someone else. And I, I'm receiving the good news of that. I'm receiving when you said that the fight or flight um, essentially separates that that and part of that would be the bio the, the physiological purpose of it it was for me to move away or to resist to live, to live. Um, and then to that that's our default mode 
and but that really can be infused with love and we can let down of the survival response and soften into oneness and um and i'm just so so touched to connect with something you said last week that's making a lot of sense for me is that how you describe that a child um sort of i'm good or i'm lovable is discerned by the child or perceived depending on how well, they are kind of meeting their parents' definition of what is good, maybe deeper than their conscious thought in their body, the way that they are registering, answering the question of, am I good? Am I lovable? Is very related to how they feel like they are meeting the parents' expectations. And I'll translate that more body-based, how much pleasure or approval the parents are giving, not necessarily with their words, but with the parent's body language. So that the parent might say, I love you, but in their body, they're withdrawing, or they're tense, or their jaws clenched. And the child knows because they they read the body language faster than they hear the words that I'm for what for some reason, my, I'm causing my p- parent displeasure. I'm unlovable. I'm not good. And I was curious if you could say more about whether it's with a child or then for listeners and as adults we're we're tuning in, how would you go about tending to, you know, if we start turning inward, let's say that we're like, man, I I can tell at my core, my default network of fear and feeling I'm bad and feeling I'm unlovable is really occupying the majority of my experience of myself, of the world, how would you go about inviting someone to begin letting love infuse that? Example would be if uh, I spent too much money and I spent money more and my wife was quite a saver. Um, There's one other subject that we won't get into today that's at the core of everything, and this is second. Um, but money is a almost a constant conflict. Go deeper, difference. Deeper, uh, I'm got the danger of being alone. Yeah, separation. Yeah, alone. Alone. Hmm. Uh, There's a danger with alone. The first thing the mind says, whether you know it or not, the sooner you can get to this, the better. I'm not lovable. And if you really look deeper, the first instinct is I'm bad. I don't mean, mean to make this point over and over, I've heard it from every adult and every child when we go to the center of the earth of where I really am. That's what we've got to deal with. So you're saying, so does that help to know that's what we're dealing with? Yes. We're solar systems away from what? You went over $20 on your lunch? Probably no wives are quite that loud, but just a little piece in here. Uh, This is anger. Just a side note. Anger is the fuel and the engine for fight or flight. And then there's gradations of anger. A little bit frustrated, yelling and screaming. So... Now we know what I'm faced with. There is not one spouse I've ever known, including my wife and I, that automatically, let's say I'm the wife and you're the husband. So I'll demonstrate it here. I noticed, I'm the wife, I noticed that more, there's more money going out on that one item there on lunch And I just wanted to talk about it with you Mm. and discuss it. Mm. 
And then you might say, oh, I, I, uh, I don't know I would be in fight or flight mode, but on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being full-fledged, mm-hmm. that's none of your business. That approach by the wife, put it in behavioral terms, describe it, not a label. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is taking an elevator from Mars mm-hmm. to the surface of the totally. earth. Totally. Can I tell you what, just to, to Is provide, this what you wanted to know? Yeah. And then I want to keep journeying lower, but I'll tell you, when you, I was really f- deciding to embody my role, when you described, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself in the role of having spent too much, I was bracing. I didn't know how, how you as the wife was going to respond. And when you said, I noticed... As soon as you said, I noticed, something in me went from maybe an arousal level of eight, like down to a three. Like I wasn't all the way relaxed because I'm feeling like I did something wrong, but I, I definitely softened. That was a really disarming way that you engaged that with me. But you see, it wasn't a label. Mm-hmm. Right. You didn't say. A label. You, I don't want to get too mm-hmm. far afield. I right. won't use that. I won't mm-hmm. go to the sixth point mm-hmm. that I said before. But a label. Mm-hmm. The default mode network has a database that you cannot believe. Mm. It has to retrieve meaning to a stimulus without thinking about it. So it's busy attributing meaning to threat constantly and putting it into the database. Constantly. So on this one, this is nanosecond. Mm-hmm. I am in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. It's the way... Marriages are. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Probably not with you guys. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. Well, I, you know, Gary. <laughs> I, I actually don't know. But labels, words matter. Uh, another piece that you need to know is that, back to the body, and what I'm feeling when I'm possibly being told how bad I am. See, mm-hmm. bad is me. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're not involved in this process, it's all her. And I'm going to argue with you. This is fight or flight. But putting it in behavior description takes a little practice, but Mm -hmm. I'll tell you not much. Mm -hmm. You just have to think about it. And uh, basically what you have to do is like in an airline where the oxygen comes down, you need to push a button and the bifocals come down (laughs) and stethoscope fits in your ear and a muffler that gags your clear down to the bottom of your throat. Listen, he's hurting. Mm. No one thinks that way. That's not normal. It isn't. If all of you are wondering, what's this guy talking about? But it's the essence of love. Mm -hmm. Mm. The essence of love is shutting up, Mm. knowing that it's normal to survive. You're trying to survive. Sounds weird. Mm. But who would argue with their husband and wife if they knew that it was killing them Mm. emotionally. Nobody. You don't think about that. So the the practicality is put it in behavior. Mm -hmm. Know that when there's a conflict, both of you are going to retrieve I'm bad database. Mm. I'm going to give you another example of a stepmom and a teenager And all of my examples are taken from all the stories and made real like it's one person. The boy, 16, in counseling for six months, which is pretty long for what I do, introvert, and whispered to me, I want to stop going one week with my dad and stepmom and one week with my mom. I'm uncomfortable with my stepmom being my parent. It's classic. You probably all know that. I coached this stepmom, beautiful heart, for a session because I wanted him to tell her. He said, she said, it's a boy or a girl, go back to she. I could hardly hear what she was saying. I feel like when there's punishment, you guys talk about it together and then come in together, tell me what to do, and it really bothers me. 
Now, this mom, this stepmom, was way on the side of heart. Mm. And I'd coached her one time. Mm -hmm. This is how hard it is. Mm -hmm. Frowning. I don't remember ever doing that. Mm. Now, I knew what was happening in the girl's heart. Mm -hmm. So I intervened. And I said, let's remember to start exactly where she is. You're not wrong, Mom, and she's not wrong. You're both right, but this isn't the time to discuss something different than the heart of the girl. So does that help? Oh, it's beautiful. It's like the like this piece of, well, let's go on further. This is the man. I was just so starved, and I was at Whole Foods. I was just going to get a piece of, couple pieces of shrimp. And I noticed those potato chips were there that I just love more than anything. And then I went ahead and got that $6 cheesecake. And by the time I was done, it was $20. I knew it was wrong. Wife says, now I know. How was it? How did it taste? Nobody, including me, does that automatically. Mm. But when you get, see, when people hear this, mm -hmm. they know this is how they want to be treated. Yes, exactly. exactly. So it's so practical. It is. That you, it takes about three or four weeks of real hard work, three or four sessions to get it. You know, I found myself really connecting when you were describing that interaction between the stepmom and her stepdaughter. Um, could you lead us, let's say, how, like, would you play it out for us as if the stepmom heard what you said and changed and tried to come to the center of the step? She actually did. Okay, would you tell because us Because I said it, uh, I say this stuff in front of everybody. Right, you're offering her the stethoscope, you're offering her yeah. the bifocals, you're, yeah. you're, you're saying, okay, put the, I know that it's not natural, but let's try again. This is so the, what I tell her? Yeah. You should have said what you said. Mm. You're right. Mm. And remember, I'm saying it all starts out with both people being right. But this just isn't the timing. This is what I would say. And you know that in this beautiful experiences, when two hearts are together, the facial, we go through the same thing. Her facial expression, her frowning, it's communicated to me. And we repair it right in front of the child. I'm not telling you it happens all the time. I sometimes have uh, souls that takes longer. And if they don't want this, we find another therapist. And I value exactly who they are. First of all, the thing that people feel like I'm normal. When I say you're both right, no, 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 wait a minute. That's it, that's not possible. Right. Their well, threat system gets turned off. At, yeah. Well, first of all, that's love. Yeah. Mm. That's love to love me enough to know that I'm not messed up. So the other therapies tend to focus on my thoughts and correct them. Right, whereas you're saying you're validating who they truly are. I'm, I'm talking body feeling. and emotion. Yeah, yes. Exactly. When they were born. Yes. Mm -hmm. I yes. hope it doesn't sound weird. No. But it's body and emotion, which is the start of everything. Mm -hmm. So when I can, and by the way, I came up with this just in the last couple of weeks. That's what's fun about being in this arena. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's as much me discovering. Mm -hmm. Last night, I woke up five times getting information about what to say today. Because <laughs> you're beautiful. excited. And it's then beautiful. I had, well, dopamine, yep. serotonin, oxytocin, mm -hmm. and endorphins. And then I thought, will I ever get back to sleep? And then I got up and got a snack and I went to sleep. <laughs> and you're 76. Exactly. It just gives me so much so hope of the, the beginner's mind, wisdom's long mm -hmm. view, that though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed, our minds, our spirit. Mm -hmm. There's truth in that. And it's so hopeful. You don't have to wait to 76 with mm -hmm. this approach. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it's revolutionary to even say it. I just said it because I feel it. 
based upon who I am. Uh, spiritual leaders forever have talked about false self and true self. I know now that the true self can be manifested from birth on mm. with seeing and hearing and joining mm. like this. My intuition is that it would be meaningful at some point before we close for you to speak as if you were the stepmom, speak to the girl's heart for our listeners, validating what she has to say. I think that would be healing. Then I'm going to step back because I want you to be able to go through the rest of your questions. And then if there's time at the end, I thought if you could lead us through a like a, just a very short like um, meditation of maybe turning to the light or seeing if we can feel the light. First, repeat what she said. So she did. And then she said, what do I do now? I want you to feel that that's what she's feeling and validate it. And then she did that, validated it. That's exactly what you feel. And it just so happened since this was prepped and she felt she wanted to be just relationship and not the parent, which she hadn't done before. I'm not going to be involved in any punishments, anything about friends. It's not going to happen. Then I ask the person, what do you think of that? The heart is always touched. When, and I've got a heart in my office, like a regular heart. And I take the heart up and I point to the very tip and go an inch away. And I say, that's speaking to this part of the child's heart. Nothing could be wrong. And it's done right there. And their bodies and their emotions are one. A physical marker in the frontal part of the brain, right up above your eyes, it's called somatic markers. It's marked in the body. Unfortunately, there's more negative markers than positive. It takes five positives to undo one negative. Gary, what I appreciate in that story is what I hear you saying is the stepmom intended to love the stepdaughter. Totally. That was her posture all along. And yet something was being missed and it wasn't being interpreted or experienced that way. So the, so the humility that it took her to acknowledge, though my motive was good towards her, I had to come to the center of her heart and then therefore change a simple behavior of I'm not going to be involved in the punishment or the discipline, but it was on a very deep heart level. It was, and what's really, 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 really painful, all of you that have kids will know this, is that the likelihood of her ever interfering even on a one level out of one to ten, I know this stepmom, was zero. And what I want the listeners to know the first intervention is not what you know. The first intervention is being present at the heart of the child. And what, what's the typical default first intervention? To defend. So you're saying what we feel is defense and therefore well, explanation. Let, let or... was, let's use it in just plain language. The first response is to know who I am. The adult. Yes. And when I observe what I did, and I didn't do that, I immediately will say it in the kindest way It was the kindest way possible. That doesn't work for heart talk. It's perfect for increased fight and flight database for future reference. That's why you do it, is because that's all we know. It sounds kind of simple, but... Uh, I, I'm hoping that it's so practical sounding and it resonates that people can start experiencing it. Yes. So speaking of simple, so I, I so appreciate where we're going. And, and one of my reactions, I'm thinking of our listeners and it's fellowship out there. All of us come as students, but to be honest, most of us are coming with some present pain, some present relationship that we can apply this to and go, well, that. That sounds great. I just need to get to Gary's office, right? I need to get my kid to Gary's office. I need to get to Gary's office. Like, I need professional help. And one of the things that makes me um, very excited and very uncomfortable is in Golden Rule Parenting, you say, most of this, you don't need a professional. Most of this, you actually don't need a counselor. And most of this ha can happen 
it's simple, not easy, but simple, and can actually happen rather quickly if you choose to engage in love over weeks into months. And so by way of an on-ramp to say, let's assume Um, You know, we are huge proponents of professional counseling. We've benefited tremendously, and I know there's a significant place for that. But to our listeners, as an on-ramp to say, um, what are are you referring to specifically when you say you don't need a professional counselor in many instances, and here's how we start. You just offered some brilliant ideas. Anything else you'd like to share in that arena? I think the Golden Rule Parenting book, I love how thin it is. And I'm going to make another one thinner yet because I have a feeling people don't have time to read thick books. And I'll <laughs> try to put a bunch of pictures in it to make it. That, that's ADHD you're talk. Kind. We, we, you're, we you're can't, very kind. We, we can't con- concentrate unless we've got constant distractions. Uh, this is easy because it's stimulating and fun. So uh, uh, I think I mentioned this the last time. First of all, review what has been said here about how normal fight and flight mechanics are. Think of an engine. Mechanics know exactly what to do because they've read the manual or they have a computer checklist. So I really outlined, I hope and pray, the mechanics and all the fight and flight stuff is normal. It's just normal. And it works great when you're going to get hit by a truck. But it's devastating for the creation of your child's soul when you don't address that fight or flight is the total meaning of your child's anger. And 99% of the problem with our relationships, child, whatever it is, is anger. That's fight or flight. So knowing the mechanics, that that's normal. So the very next step is to know when you're angry, you should be. But stop and don't talk. If you need to, say it in your smartphone on a recorder and listen what it sounds like. And now, it used to be a lot, and now it went away, now it's coming back. Journal. Look at the words that you're writing down. And the key thing is, say out loud, you can talk to yourself, it's okay. Don't do it in front of too many people or they might (laughs) refer you to the hospital. I believe in self-talk out loud because then I can hear my voice. Hmm. But you know the mechanics, the anger means you're fearful. I hope you can feel all of you. That's not Halloween again, that's just normal. Write it down, talk about it with someone, and then go to the spouse and promise not to talk, but to listen and be aware of how upset you are, because you're going to be talking to the spouse when there's a difference. So be aware that when you talk, you're going to be angry and know that that's fear and know that that's natural. And if you have to, take a notepad along so you can keep quiet And listen to the feelings. Mm. How are you feeling? I have a scale in my office of 1 to 10 thermometer. 1 is sleeping. 5 is when we've got as much emotion as ability to talk. That's where we want to go no farther than a 5. That's Mm -hmm. a 5. Stop all talking when it's too hard. Either the other person is you're hurting from what they're saying or you're starting to raise your voice and using labels. The rule in my practice is after the first session, everybody leaves when it's a five plus. Simply because that's when the fire engines start coming out of the fire Mm -hmm. station and there really isn't a fire. You need to shut the doors and go cook in the fire station Mm. or go play volleyball. Yes. Then you come back, but the rule is not five plus. And the final piece I would say is make sure that you're not talking 
and that you reflect back as long as you're five plus and below. Don't try when you're six or seven. It won't work. That's plutonium all over the place. Repeat what the person said and say, is that what you said? And if you're really, really painful, don't talk anymore. Ponder it and pray about it. Find a way to agree with something that the person said. That is welding the split. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. And if you can't find anything and they're mad, you can at least say, I can see why you would be mad the way you're thinking about what I did. Now, that takes a day of golfing. Yes. But come back and say what you agree with. That's welding. All the other stuff is splitting. Mm. Wow. That's brilliant, Gary. I'd like to ask a related question. One of the most transformative ideas you presented to me in our many sessions together is in relation to parenting. And you talked about the miracle of validation of being known and to have access to the true self in our children. And so like you said, you believe since birth, we can um, have access and it can be lost over time. And I am aware, as I've done a lot of work inside of this tug of war of the true self and the false self in me, I see it in my children. And Sherry and I have worked vigilantly to try to gain access to their true self and maintain access to their true self in the sense of, as you've mentored us, we believe that so long as we can have access to what's most true and how they're feeling and how they're seeing and how they're experiencing life, what I see often are really great kids in really great families who have the same heart we have, but um, their kids are starting to go underground and kind of make a split between the person they present to their parents and what they're actually thinking and feeling. And I can empathize with that. And I remember those years and visceral moments in my childhood going into teenage where I no longer um, felt a certain, I, it, I couldn't have named it at the time, but I went underground and was looking for a place to be safe and known and loved. And I just felt misunderstood. So I kind of developed two lives as it were internally. But I'm looking at these families, they're great families and they're great kids, but I'm seeing it painfully because I hear the stories of really what's going on. And so what, what perplexes me is these are parents who really love their kids and care and yet they're, I don't know that they are consciously aware of the hiding and the disconnect. Um, how, how would you coach us as parents to be assured that we have access to the true self or take steps in that direction if damage has been done? As you talk, I uh, feel the excruciating pain that all of us feel at some point within us, unless there's been an intervention in a religious experience or therapy, the excruciating pain at a very deep level in our body. That pain is worse because when parents know intuitively when the child has reached a critical mass of splitting from them, all parents know it, and all the parents listening to this could say, and all I mean by critical mass is increasingly untouchable. All parents know it, and it's important to listen to that. Be aware, how am I with my child? How much oneness? All parents know it, and do not be fooled with he's an adolescent or she's an adolescent. They just want to be alone. Some truth in that. But there's another quality where teenagers never want to be left alone. There's a surface piece of independence in validating that. But if there's a piece going along with being alone where there's not a soul connection, which there was before, more discovery needs to happen. Yes. Something different 
I, I would say that. That's great. Do something different. Doing the same thing will guarantee, and we're all in that mode. One little tip, one time a month, three hours alone, doing exactly what the child wants. Two 15-minute times, Monday through Thursday, with what the child wants. That actually is wanting. There's no technique to it. It's being what the child wants. Do you hear it resonate with what I've been saying? Yes. One, I can't tell you, especially with dads, when a son, after the dad starts to do this, the glow in a boy's eyes, every one of these boys are so happy when that happens. If you could take a month and do that, it's better than therapy because it opens the heart. Gary, I so appreciate, and it's so hopeful to hear the universal nature of the human condition and the possibility of human restoration. What I'm so curious, though, is you've lived through five decades of observing brokenness inside the souls of people and participating in the restoration. I'm curious, as you reflect back on changing times, though there are things that are universal, we are in a unique age, and there's lots of things we could point to from technology, um, social media. My question to you is, what stands out from wisdom's long view that you see as unique either obstacles or possibilities in this age right now that if you were to take today's wisdom and rewind yourself back to being a parent, being a young professional in your 30s, what sort of observation or counsel would you have to offer? I'm not sure I can. I've I've got the laser focus on that, but let me make an attempt. Sure. And and I'll just put a note to take away is like, I just think... um, you're not 35, and so what's so wonderful is you have this unique perspective of you You lived in an age, for example, without phones and without technology and without um, the, the amount of activity in a young person's life. And I don't know if that's relevant or not. I, I seem to think it's massive, and, and I live fighting it all the time. I don't know if that's true, so I would just love— um, to have the counsel of an elder speak into, here's a unique, you know, I believe that every generation faces um, unprecedented obstacles and is given by God some unprecedented uh, provision to navigate those times. And so I'm just really curious of your perspective on it. Uh, at one level, it's so different. And I'll articulate that for just a couple minutes. And at another level, It's not changed since Adam and Eve were created. And that's really the part I'd want to focus on. But let me give you the superficial answer on the surface. Uh, Scientist data is emerging that is scientifically proven that I'm going to go deep and surface. It's all about joining. That's what's deep and what's on the surface. Scientists are now saying it is going to be clear within the next five years that the device joining is only speaking to a fraction of the heart of the need to be loved. Just think about the term like. I'm liked or not, followed. Right, and so you're talking about the devices and technology yes. devices, iPads, they, iPhones, they social are media. the focus. Yes. And scientists are now, there's data that that joining, you hear I'm going over what we talked about yes. before, there's a significant part of joining that never happens on a device. But we still have the deep feeling, this is why they're so popular, because we want to join. We're born to, to be one. And that's why I'm trying to go fast yeah, on so this. So you're saying it gives the promise well, of Well, like joining. and follow? Yes. I want well, that. How about... No, I'm saying when they, isn't it like? Yes. And yes. followed? Mm-hmm. That's translation for I'm lovable. Mm. The deep part is that's never changed. And now we have the opportunity to be liked, to be loved, slash uh, followed and liked 
Am I making sense? Yes. Constantly. Constantly. And scientists are proving that the core part of lovable does not happen with devices. And it's an illusion from a deep point of view. But we think that it's getting us what we want. So on the surface, there's data that indicate this is different with different responses in our soul than 40 years ago. But what's the same is that everybody wants to be known at the soul level. Not behavior, but at the soul level. Yes. That's not changed. And what I've found to be the key, and by the way, most of what I've learned is from my children and my wife, mm. not from these clients. I just, do, I, I just get to go practice in a laboratory. And then I can think about myself and how messed up I am on certain things. And if I study this and help them, I'm helping myself. That's what happens with most therapists, to keep it in perspective. But the, the, the most beautiful thing that now I can see at 76 is that the degree to which I was able to stop my ADHD, busy with everything, and be present with my children, and make sure that we went places together, and now I know they felt super valued. So we had a lot of fun. One of them was I bought a van and I put it on a 10-year mortgage. Really couldn't afford it. And it was the most colorful van you could ever see. It had four <laughs> captain's chairs and a, a sofa in the back and a refrigerator. <laughs> and we took trips with it. And... uh I have proof their somatic markers about this are way, way more than it ever happened. The joy lives with those trips. So I don't know if that helps or not. That's beautiful. It's time and generous is what I've found. At first, it's kind of hard to be really generous, but I've found generosity for some reason, it's a deep soul cultivation. And then more recently, gratitude. That isn't your question, but more recently, and it's all in all the research now, changes your brain. Gratitude changes your brain mass. But that one is deeper than generosity. Gary, as I listen to you, I hear these words that are very thematic and touch back to the universal realities of what we contend with as parents and really in any vital relationships entrusted to our care. There are words like generosity. There are words like gratitude. I love this word wanting and coming to the center to hear, validate, the truth of someone else's experience of a relationship. And these are words that are common, but they're also precarious. They take great courage and introspection because they reveal deeper things going on at work in us. For example, generosity. Even in thinking of generosity with our time, you're inviting these simple acts of 15-minute blocks and then the simple act of three hours of uninterrupted time once a month to enter into their story, to do what they want to do, to do what they value and they find interesting. And on paper, you think that's a no-brainer. But if we pause and really ask how often do we find ourselves doing it, and even when we choose to do it, how rarely we're present, fully present, immersing ourselves in the reality of the experience of our child. And so I want to sit in these ideas. I'm so honored that you would take your time to allow us to benefit from what you've curated and distilled over five decades with over 5,000 families. 
you have our attention. And as we turn towards this new year, I am struck by this reality personally. In 16 years of parenting, I don't think any year has been more challenging. And challenging in this regard, it's more complex to come to the center of their experience, to give them room to be themselves, while at the same time deeply wanting to form them and guide their path into what we think would be good for their hearts and lives. And so I am taking this conversation, and I know Sherry, you as well, into this new year as a sort of orientation with some very accessible markers, some very accessible on-ramps to enter very deeply into the center of our kids, to know them, to hear their hearts, and to really become a student of their hearts and to be aware of what comes in the way. You've urged us to watch inside out, and so I want to invite our friends all over the globe as an activity with your family or your spouse or allies to watch that film afresh if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while because it really unpacks in parable and metaphor some of the themes that we're talking about. And also Gary has released a new book titled Lift for Children. That's Lift, L-I-F-T, and that's for love-infused fear therapy. And in some ways, much of what we're talking about in part two is embodied in that book. And so for you parents that want some very practical step-by-step accessibility to get to these deep mysteries and this heart work, I strongly encourage you to check out Lift for Children or The Golden Rule Parenting, which we dove into in the first of this two-part series. Friends, I pray that in this year, this would be fuel for you, that this would be a mile marker on your path of becoming, that these two podcasts with Gary would be a source of soul strengthening, a source of encouragement, a source of validation as you seek to become the kind of men and women who God can entrust more and more with the care of the hearts of your children. Father, I pray that this deep work in relationships would find root in our hearts. I'm drawn to the scripture in Psalm 68, where the psalmist cries out, you have set the lonely in family. To the fatherless, God, you are a father. To the widow, you are champion friend. To the lonely, you make us part of a family. The prisoners you lead to prosperity until we sing for joy. So God, I receive the reality that the kingdom of heaven, the community of saints begins with family. And at the epicenter of your heart and your work in the world is restoring us to you, to reparent us, that you would become father and mother in the places that have been lost or stolen or surrendered or yielded in our hearts. And out of that generosity, out of that validation, out of that healing, Father, we would become parents, that we would become the kind of wholehearted parents that can love children well. And out of abundance, we can love others in our proximity And Father, I pray that in this deep work of becoming a king and becoming a queen, that in time and over time, as we mature, that as kings and queens, through suffering and joy, we would eventually become fathers and mothers in your kingdom, that we would embody your fathering heart in a very lonely and fractured world, that we would embody your mothering work in the world to center on attachment and restore deep and lasting union with you that gives us the capacity, the power, and the intention and confidence to be able to navigate any and every circumstance. God, we trust all of our relationships to you. 
we consecrate our relationships afresh on this day. Consecrate all those entrusted to our care. Consecrate our relationship with you. We consecrate our marriages, our children, extended family, community, friends, those in which we share mission, vocation, and all that you have set as our neighbors. God, our boundaries lie in pleasant places, and you restore our hearts with dignity and joy. I pray, God, that these two podcasts with Gary and Sherry, that they would be a constant source that we could turn back to for guidance and care as we move forward in bringing your heart on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Friends, in this podcast post with Gary Unruh, you can find links to Lift for Children and The Golden Rule Parenting. encourage you to check out those books, and you can see Gary's website for therapy if you're led to seek him out individually for work with your family. I bless you, and I'm strengthened by you as we turn into this new year. Let's keep going and receive the more that God is bringing us individually and together as the like-hearted. We'll be back together soon on another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast.